0: If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30 this morning. I'm going to read verse 19 and verse 25, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump into this passage. Let's take a moment now and read God's Word, and we will pray together. Verse 19, Philippians chapter 2 I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come now to your Word. We come to hear from you, for we know the way that you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, it's true, and it has the ability to pierce our hearts and transform our lives. And so, God, we pray that you would come now and do what only you can do and teach us by your Word through your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, there's a television series that is probably one of my all time favorites, and I actually try to watch through it almost every year at least once, the whole series, mainly because of its leadership insights. It is The Band of Brothers. And if you've watched it, you probably are familiar with all the leadership insights that it has. However, This particular series, just let me tell you a little bit about it. It's a series that follows Easy Company, the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. It follows them through its mission in World War II throughout all of Europe. It goes from D-Day to VJ Day. It's based on interviews with uh, survivors from this company and the soldiers' journals and all their different letters... And it really shares the experiences that these soldiers, these legendary men, go through. But before each episode, there are interviews with the soldiers. Not the actors in the series, but the real-life soldiers. I love the interviews at the beginning. One particular interview is with Major Richard Winters, Dick Winters, who is the leader for Easy Company. And one of his interviews in the series, this is how he recalls a question that a fellow veteran was asked by his grandson. The grandson asked his grandfather, the soldier in Easy Company, Grandpa, were you a hero in the war? His grandpa kind of paused for a minute. He said, no, I wasn't a hero in the war, but I served in a company of heroes. Such a powerful moment in this series. So, I want to ask a question this morning. What is it that makes a hero? We think of characteristics like courage or willingness, compassion, bravery, determination, but what about humility? You know, I did a Google search this week on what makes a hero, and it took me a disturbing amount of time to find an article that shared humility as one of the characteristics of a hero. This morning, as we continue to walk through this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, we come to a passage where we find a company of heroes. And I think Paul would agree with Dick Winters that he was not a hero, but he served alongside a company of heroes. The unique thing about this passage, the servants in this passage, though, is that the one thing that ties them together is the characteristic of humility. So this morning, we're going to look at biblical portraits of humility because we all need a hero. First, the biblical portrait of Timothy. There's no one like Timothy, verses 19 Through 24. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. While Paul is under house arrest, he's in prison in some way. He's waiting for his trial before the Roman emperor. And because of their partnership and their affection, Paul, as the one who went out from the church and the church, the saints at Philippi, because of their partnership... Paul wants to go see them, but he obviously can't do that because he's in prison. He can't go to visit them, so he does the next best thing, and he sends Timothy. He wants to send Timothy. The relationship that Paul had with Timothy is somewhat of what we would call a life-on-life discipleship relationship. One generation investing in another generation. So it's Paul's investment in Timothy, but also Timothy's investment in Paul. Paul has others to be sure, but there's no one like Timothy. The passage says he's genuinely concerned for your welfare, he's concerned for you, Christians at Philippi. He wants to seek the good for you, the good of others. But you know, we live in a world today where others seek their own personal good. Everybody is seeking their own good. In another letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's the world we live in today. (laughs) And we all know people like Timothy. They're out there, they're few and far between, but we know people like Timothy, and we know people that are not like Timothy as well. You know, people like Timothy, you can just sit, you can talk to them, and they're concerned about you. And you can tell the difference. They're not rushed, they're not distracted. People like Timothy aren't divided among other to do items that they have to get accomplished. There's no hidden agenda, they're not connecting with you because they want something from you. Or they want you to do something for them. They're sincerely concerned about what's going on with you. People like Timothy. C.S. Lewis makes a direct connection between someone who is concerned about others and humility. And this is what he says. I'm going to paraphrase what he says. He says, "...do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays." Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed an an intelligent, cheerful kind of guy, but he took a real interest in what you said to him. You won't dislike him, but if you do dislike him, it'll be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. But then there are people who are not like Timothy. We know people like that as well. You know that you're with someone who's not like Timothy because you're kind of counting the seconds till you can leave their presence. People not like Timothy, they only talk about themselves. They're only concerned with themselves. They always want the spotlight. They always want you to know what's going on with them. And how you can help them. They always have an agenda for you. People not like Timothy are the people that just kind of suck the life out of you when you're around them. The phrase for today would be toxic relationships. Those are people not like Timothy. Each one of you here this morning probably has a thought in your mind right now of someone like Timothy. And someone not like Timothy. One brings a smile to your face. And the other, let's go on. (laughs) One way that being genuinely concerned for others, as Paul describes Timothy, one way that plays out in daily life is through service unto others. Serving for the good of others. Literally, this phrase here is, I have no one as good as Timothy. I have no one better than Timothy. So the idea is, I have no one like-minded. With that kind of mind. Well, what kind of mind is Paul talking about? Pastor Ben went over that for the past couple of weeks with us. If you go back up to verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So these portraits of humility are an outworking of what it looks like for a community of faith to live with the mind of Christ. I have heroes. I'm sure you do as well. Two of my modern-day heroes are Paul and Sarah Taylor. I don't know if you can really see this, but I used to serve on a board in the Philippines. It was called the Angbahai Parola Orphanage, and it was for street children. Angbahai Parola means the lighthouse, and this is the board of directors meeting in 2014. There are only three missionaries in that picture. Everybody else there is Filipino. You can see the three of us, myself on the left hand, and then Paul with the white hair, and then Sarah is sitting down. Paul and Sarah Taylor are two of my modern-day heroes, and I remember, I'll never forget a conversation that they had with me in the summer of 2003, almost 20 years ago, first time I went to the Philippines, and I was spending time with Paul and Sarah. We were at a Nestle factory, we were sharing an ice cream, a little section of the factory where you could go and get ice cream. We were there, and we were sharing this ice cream cone. And as we were debriefing the day, Paul said to me, he said, D, if you ever want to make it on the mission field, and I would say to us as a body of believers, if you ever want to make it as a Christian, you must have a heart to serve others. Do you have a heart to serve others? Timothy did. And he was humility in the flesh with the mind of Christ. The second biblical portrait we're going to look at of humility is Epaphroditus. If we'll read with me verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed... Because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You know, everything we just said about Timothy, we could also say about Epaphroditus as well. They're cut from the same mold and they both bleed Jesus. But there's one small difference. Timothy was a youthful minister. He was a minister of the gospel while Epaphroditus was a layman from the church at Philippi, he was a member of the church at Philippi. Every single person in here has the potential to be an Epaphroditus. You don't have to have ministerial credentials to be an Epaphroditus, he was just a member of the church. I can only imagine that when Epaphroditus showed up to visit, Paul just smiled. Not because he brought money to Paul, which he did but because he brought encouragement to Paul. And Paul needed encouraging during this time. Listen again to what Paul calls him. He says, he's my brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. They were partners in the gospel going forth. But in this description, there's definite military overtones. They were in a fight to get the gospel out to the lost world. He also describes him as a messenger and a minister to Paul's need. Paul praises Epaphroditus for his sacrifices, for his being willing, for his being available. If you want to be an Epaphroditus, I encourage you to pray what William Borden prayed. William Borden was a great missionary of the early 1900s, and this is what Borden prayed. He said, Lord, make me willing to be willing. Epaphroditus was willing to go. So the situation here was that the church at Philippi wanted to get some type of a monetary gift to Paul while he was in prison. There was some distance between the two. Paul had been sent to preach the gospel. And Epaphroditus was part of the church, his partnering church. It was really no short distance. Between Rome and Philippi, we're talking about probably 800 miles And during this time, it's probably about six weeks of travel to get from one to the other. The church was there. They found out about Paul's needs. They were supporting Paul, praying for him. They wanted to get this money to him to take care of his needs. They're sitting around, how are we going to do this? I can imagine Epaphroditus kind of raised his hand. He said, here I am. Send me. I'll go. I'll take it to Paul. But little did he know, when he volunteered to go, that on his journey he would somehow get sick. And he would almost die, all for the sake of getting this gift to Paul to help meet his needs. The passage says, indeed he was ill, near to death. He was probably sick for about three months total. Maybe more, a little less. Epaphroditus is humility in the flesh with the mind of Christ. So I've tried to think about what could summarize this type of mentality or this type of lifestyle that Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi to live by. And again, I was with Paul and Sarah Taylor in the Philippines. This time we were at a board meeting, that particular board meeting from the picture I showed you. I learned about the Filipino concept Bayanihan. The Filipinos have a long-standing cultural tradition called Bayanihan. I actually have a Filipino painting of Bayanihan hanging in my office to remind me of this type of lifestyle. So Bayani, the literal translation is "hero." and Han, the translation is "act." So the literal translation is the act of a hero." or you could say the act of volunteering yourself for free in an article by Jeff Mingwin who is Filipino himself but he speaks all over Asia he said this bayanihan turns ordinary people into heroes it is the antidote to indifference division mistrust and mediocrity So Bayanihan refers to this spirit of communal unity and cooperation and sacrifice for others. So what actually happens is this. In Bayanihan, all the men in the community come together after some type of maybe a typhoon or a flood or volcanic eruption, which happens often in the Philippines, and they literally physically pick up and move a family's house to a new location, out of harm's way. Every person we've looked at in this company of heroes, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, they are all heroes. But each one was a sinner saved by grace. And each one was attempting to live in such a way that would serve the church at Philippi. Mostly we've looked at Paul leading up till today, but now we have Timothy and Epaphroditus. But there was one, and there is one, that is greater than these. Jesus Christ. Timothy is a portrait of humility because he's a portrait of servanthood. Epaphroditus is a portrait of humility because he's a portrait of sacrifice. But I want you to scroll your eyes back up to verses 5 through 8 what Ben has shared with us in the past few weeks. Verses 5 through 8, Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ is the true suffering servant because he was the true ultimate sacrifice once and for all for your sins and for my sins. Have you ever heard the story of the hero that died for the villains? Jesus Christ is the hero we need because you and I are the villains For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In a few minutes we'll sing, Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full redemption, can it be? Hallelujah! What a Savior! Jesus Christ is our Savior. And this morning we humble ourselves as we come to His table. J.C. Ryle says this about the table. He says, The right reception of the Lord's Supper has a humbling effect on the soul. The sight of the bread and wine as emblems of Christ's body and blood reminds us how sinful sin must be. It must be sinful if nothing less than the death of God's own Son could make satisfaction for it or redeem us from its guilt. Never should we be so clothed with humility as when we receive the Lord's supper. So when our savior Jesus walked on this earth, he instituted his supper where he is the host and he invites us today to his table. He invites us to be nourished and to be strengthened And so as his invitation goes forth, we respond and we understand that this table is a means of grace for us as believers. We come recognizing the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. We come needy, looking for grace. We come as those who want to turn away from our sins and repentance and turn toward Jesus and hope. We come as those Desiring to live a life worthy of the gospel, as it says in chapter 1, verse 27. We want to live lives worthy of the Lord. But we come in a posture of humility. As we consider our relationship with the Lord, if there's things that we are holding back from Him, He knows, He sees. We want to come to Him in humility and ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness. We also come in a posture of humility with the relationships we have with the body of Christ. Maybe our own family or the family of God or even our neighbors. We consider those in humility. If we do not come with these desires, then the scriptures very much warn us that we need not come and we need to wait. Because this is a meal for Christians, the family of God, if you are not a Christian... I encourage you to not partake of this meal, but to watch and to see. And maybe even go to Isaiah chapter 53, what we declared together as God's people earlier. And consider the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. And as well, if you're a child that hasn't been examined by the session you've met with the session, you haven't met with the session, then I would encourage you to wait to watch and talk to your parents and come and see me or Pastor Ben and see how you can be part of this meal. But for those of us who do come to this table, the Lord has invited us. And in humility, we respond and we come. But come boldly, seeking grace upon grace to be strengthened and nourished. Let's take some time now to prepare our hearts to come to the table, to confess our sins and to prepare. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come to you now. And Father, we come in humility. We come desiring to live lives worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus We come weak, we come needy, we come confessing the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done, we come confessing the things that we, uh, Father, we don't even know that we do. And so, Father, as we come, we thank you that you've called us to this table today, and we thank you that it's your table And we thank you that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh God, we thank you. So Father, as we come now, we pray that you would help us prepare to partake of this meal that you've provided for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.